0: Hi, I'm Nick Holland for Information Security Media Group. Given how long the Internet's been a part of our lives, it's surprising that we still have no easy way to prove online that we are who we claim to be. Today, I'm joined by Ron Shevlin, Director of Research at Cornerstone Advisors, who has recently published a report on digital identity in banking. Hi, Ron. Hey, Nick. Good to be here. Why is digital identity still a problem?
1: So why is digital identity still a problem? It, well, it depends where in the in the world we're talking about. If we're talking about the United States, then there's a couple reasons why digital identity is is still a problem. One is certainly from a regulatory perspective because of the liability of of fraud in this country because it gets passed on to other parties. So there's, there's not a lot of consumer demand for a digital identity solution in the United States. And unlike other countries, especially third world developing countries, where there's not an infrastructure in place for identity, identity management, there's just not been much impetus for for that in the United States. If we want to focus more specifically in the banking world, even less of a compelling demand there because the industry has been relatively slow to see adoption of digital technologies, although I would caveat that in the past five years, certainly the the growth in, in mobile banking and mobile adoption has skyrocketed, but that's not really enough time in the United States to develop a cohesive, comprehensive digital identity management solution.
0: So why haven't banks done something about digital identity?
1: Why should they? Uh, there's little business model there for it. Uh, there are they're certain, I mean, they do things around it at the transactional level. But I assume we're talking when you say not doing anything about digital identity at a more market level, comprehensive, national level. Uh, I mean, they certainly do a lot from a, a transactional level. But if we're talking, why haven't they emerged as, you know, the identity providers for, for a broader population? Uh, you know, there are a couple of reasons. One is it's hard for them to figure out what the business model to the do it is. Uh, I think there's also huge challenges for them to actually come together and collaborate for all the talk. And if you want any proof of that, Nick, i got one word for you, and that one word is clear exchange. That thing was around for, what, six, seven years as a co- consortium among banks and went nowhere until they sold it off as a third party who then rebranded the product as Zelle and we've seen some uptake around it. So the idea that the banks are going to come together uh, and collaborate on this seems pretty far-fetched to me. And then of course you've got the underlying problem of trust. Consumers have trust in banks, and what that means is they trust that the money they put in there tomorrow tonight will be there tomorrow. That's the trust consumers have. But trust around a digital identity management, I think that's a step too far. I'll give you a good example of that. And, uh, I was out at the Finnovate conference a couple of weeks ago sitting in on a digital identity panel. And one of the, uh, the the panel participants was from Wells Fargo, who started talking about what uh, the bank is doing to uh, attack or to battle the, the bad actors. And I sat there and I thought to myself, dude, your firm created fictional accounts. You are the bad guys. So there's a lot of challenges for the banks in in doing this, especially in the United States. But, you know, you look elsewhere in the UK and in Canada in particular, there is a lot of collaboration. So when we say banks haven't done anything, we've really got to put a geographic label on it.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Although, I mean, back to our colleague, Dave Birch, there's a quote in your report from him where he says that for banks to proactively create a new set of identity services would not be that far removed from what they're required to provide today to comply with KYC and other regulations. So, is it that much of a leap for them to do that? Uh, you know, Could and should banks become identity custodians?
1: So is it that much of a, Dave is absolutely right. There's not that much of a leap. Uh, Capital One, who also, uh, the exec uh, who's running their new digital identity service was on that platform. So they're clearly trying to do that. Uh, I think there's where Dave and I might argue a little bit is if we put a strictly United States lens on this, I would not be very bullish or optimistic that the banks will pull it off. I actually, Nick, would be a lot more optimistic that the credit unions could come together and do this. I see a lot of good work coming out of a consortium called CU Ledger that's doing a lot of work in the the technology space and specifically with digital identity. And I think they may have a better chance of coming together and implementing a solution that would be or an approach or a scheme, identity scheme that would be accepted by a wide range of credit unions and maybe set the the standard or the or the bar for what a more broader financial services solution might look like.
0: Well, that that's interesting so you could bring it up to maybe a consortium level that is works with the credit unions of I mean again a fundamental issue with the US market is the sheer number of institutions that are out there. I mean what what's the current count for banks and FIs we're talking like 13,000 something like that?
1: Yeah, and that might be give or take a thousand, but that's still a whole lot more than the the six banks in Canada who right. are working together with, by the way, a third party in the middle. So it's there's a lot of work that has to be done in the United States. And you know, if we look broader than just financial services in the U.S., Nick, I think there's also a you know a geopolitical issue in the U.S. right now that's going to to slow any digital identity management efforts down to a a crawl. You know, on one side of the coin, any efforts in the United States to create a broad digital identity management approach is going to be seen by a lot of people as anti-immigration, and that's not a good thing. And then on the other side of the coin, I I just don't think that our current administration, for whatever you might think about them, uh, you know, they're on a anti-regulatory push within financial services right now, and I don't think they're very technology savvy I don't think there's going to be much focus from a technology perspective among the administration to to want to push for a digital identity management scheme that would involve the, the, the banks so not only do you have a problem with the banks I think not having the trust the ability to collaborate on with, at the consortium level I also don't think we're going to see much government push for this in the next couple of years
0: right I mean given given the hypothetical let's let's say institutions did See themselves as making this leap of faith and becoming brokers of identity. How would they monetize it?
1: Part of you know the monetization might not come from charging a fee for every transaction that involves a uh, an identity check, but could involve add-on services, much like an an Amazon that has a platform of various products and services and takes a cut of revenue. So when somebody buys something, you know, that the you know, there is a a fee that gets passed on, maybe not unlike an interchange fee. So there could be monetization from that perspective versus, you know, trying to charge the the consumer for it, which I think would will uh, get a lot of pushback and actually pushback from practically every side of the equation. So, you know, there's different types of business models that emerge here, but I do think that that's you know, one of the sticking points and it'd be interesting to see what Capital One does and what their monetization model is. I'm not familiar in the, with the details of that.
0: I mean, if, if the analogy is like, again, a, a credit card where it's something like interchange that they're getting cut on, do you think banks would have an appetite to warrant a digital ID and also eat the fraud associated with that going wrong potentially?
1: Here's the problem, Nick. I think that, you know, both the problem and the opportunity, actually. The problem is I don't think banks want to take on that risk. Why? If they did, they wouldn't need the payment networks today. They, they would assume those risks themselves instead of passing it on. But yet, on the other hand, you know when they th- when other people throw out the prospects of a social media provider like a Facebook or a Google or an Amazon as being a potential identity provider, you know I look at that and go, there's no risk management capability in, in those organizations. And yet, the, but the banks do have that capability for the most part. And so they're probably better suited to do that, but because of the, the, the lack of the appetite to, to accept that kind of risk uh, and, you know, trying to do this within your existing banking business model feels like it's uh, the absolute wrong way to go. You, you've got to spin this thing off and make it a venture capital type of approach where it's not beholden to the existing business structure and budgeting issues.
0: So you mentioned CU Ledger earlier on. That sounds suspiciously like it's something blockchain related. Is it? And, well, I guess on a broader theme, what's the role of blockchain here?
1: So, wait, CU Ledger, yes, it, it is a consortium. I think it may, I may, they've probably listen to this and go, no, Ron, it's not a consortium. They got it all wrong. But anyway, it's a great organization, whatever their structure is, that has brought together a lot, a lot of uh, the really smartest people in the credit union world around technology and they have been focusing, yes, as blockchain as the underlying technology, but not, hey, it's everything's gotta be blockchain. It's they're looking at solving real world problems. It just happens to start from the perspective of, hey, can blockchain do that? And you know, it's funny, Nick. Um, you're you're a much younger guy than I am, and so you might not remember this, but you know, back in the eighties, big thing I remember I had a buddy who went to work for a a startup and comes back uh in the evening, we were playing softball and he was like all excited. I'm like, Well, what's the big deal? He goes, well, we, we chose our relational database today. I'm like, who cares about that kind of thing? But back then, because the world was moving from an old type of database structure to a relational database structure, that was a big deal. And to a large extent, that, that's really, you know, for all the hype around blockchain, it's just a different database management approach. And so CU Ledger is looking at, you know, what are the the new business opportunities to use this emerging technology to solve the, the problems in, in the financial services world. So yes, blockchain's kind of at the core of it, but they're really focused more at uh, solving some critical business issues, one of which is, is blockchain. And so, you know, there are plenty of examples, especially outside of the U.S., where blockchain has been used for digital identity purposes. And that's all, I think, great stuff and certainly points to what's going on in the future. One thing that I'm a little concerned about and is less about the technology and more about people's attitudes is there in a lot of the research I did looking at what was going on around digital ID from a from a blockchain perspective there's almost this like religious belief, Nick, that, oh, blockchain's just gonna solve all these problems. It's gonna take us to that highest level of digital identity management. Uh, and I forget what they, they 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 call that label. You know, it was the evolution of digital ID and some work from Sovereign Foundation, where it's, I think where I saw this. And there's sort of this, you know, belief that, oh, blockchain's gonna fix everything. And, you know, it's funny, you see the, the articles out there how blockchain is going to solve world hunger and all that kind of stuff and end poverty. So it kind of fits. But I don't see it as this great panacea. It still has a bunch of weaknesses in it. And, and I think as you look at it more narrowly, at least you know, since I'm very U.S. focused, for better or worse, it's just simply not going to solve the problem.
0: So thanks, Ron. Really appreciate you joining me for this interview. That was Ron Chevlin, who's director of research at Cornerstone Advisors. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Nick Holland.